Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Randy Cohen. I teach finance and entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School. And I sit on the board of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I'm just the blind guy who decided to do a podcast. I have retinitis pigmentosa, a degenerative condition of the retina. Here on the Dangerous Vision Podcast, we get a chance to talk to people who have something interesting to say about visual impairments and blindness. It was devastating, and if it isn't, you're probably in some stage of denial. I don't know how to interview people, right? I'm just like a professor. Oh my God, you're a mother and you're blind. I think that has a really big impact when it comes to blindness. I live on a 36 and a half foot um, Beneteau. People always ask, are you on a boat year round? And it's like, is there an option? Pauline Dow lives and breathes her passion. She lives to sail, and she lives on a sailboat. I have people who are uh, tennis fanatics, but none of them live on a tennis court. So, David, are you, are you recording? We're recording. All right, everything's good. Um, all right, so I'll just clear my head for a few seconds. So, so I'm dying to ask you. Welcome to the Dangerous Vision Podcast. Pauline, thanks so much for being here today on the Dangerous Vision Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. The, uh, now, this is our second run at this. Uh, the last time we tried to do this, there was some kind of crazy hurricane or something. Is that right? Uh, it, it, my life is a hurricane, so sure. <laughs> uh. <laughs> they wanted you. You were literally battening down the hatches when I spoke to you. It's, it's so rare that a metaphor, especially an old metaphor like that, um, you know, George Orwell has that great essay on the politics of language. And he talks about how like um, that, that things go through a period of being a um, – uh, you know, they go through a period where they're uh, a metaphor, you know, at first, maybe it's a clever metaphor, then it becomes kind of uh, hackneyed and overused. But then it just becomes uh, a word that has direct meaning without even needing to be thought of metaphorically. And the example he gives, I still remember this from like seventh grade English is um, iron will, right? He's like, you know, when they talk about having iron will, nobody thinks of that as like, oh, it's a piece of iron, right? It just it's just that phrase has meaning on its own. And uh, I think batten down the hatches has has uh, gone through um, that uh, transformation to where nobody really, you know, pictures uh, what exactly battening is. But you were literally battening down the hatches the last time because it was some kind of a, a hurricane or something working its way up the coast. And you event. live on a boat, right? Yes, yes I do. <laughs> so, so tell us what that's all about. Why, uh, why the choice to live on a boat? How the choice? Could we all live on a boat? You know, I mean, I, uh, you know, I grew up with Miami Vice and all that. And so, you know, this whole living on a boat thing, uh, I think, is a fantasy of many people. So tell us about what drew you to it. And then we can dig into why it's wonderful and m maybe why so few people do it despite its wonderfulness. Um, I have always loved the water and I've always loved being in the water. I'm, uh, I do a lot of swimming. And when I came to Boston to go to college, I learned how to sail on the Charles River at community boating. And mm. I loved it. And then from there, I went to boat building school in Virginia. And I um, met a boyfriend who I went to France with and sailed in France. And then um, I was on his boat and really loved it. And then, you know, we broke up when things happened. And I came back and finished my degree out in Western Massachusetts at UMass Amherst. 
So <clears throat> I didn't, uh, there's no place out in Western Mass to really get sailing. So uh, I came mm. back to Boston and um, was here a few years and wasn't that, I wasn't getting any sailing in. It was, you know, just trying to make a living at that point. And um, mm-hmm. a few years went by and I started to really lose my vision. And I went to the Carroll School in, in Newton. And mm-hmm. um, at the Carroll Center, I um, learned that there was a blind sailing group. And I was like, tell me more about it. And it took me forever in while I was there to find somebody who knew about it. You know, people kept saying, oh, you need to talk to this guy, Arthur. And I, I couldn't find him anywhere. So uh, I found this woman who was sitting next to me in the, the lunchroom one day. And she said, oh, I know all about it. I, I'm a sailor. And so she introduced me to it, into the program. And it was on Saturdays at Courageous Sailing here on the harbor. And mm-hmm. um, you'd go out with a sighted guide and you'd learn to sail. And it was wonderful. It was a really good introduction back into sailing. And in the, a wonderful community of blind sailors, blind and visually impaired sailors. And I have always just had a very passion for um, boats and sailing. And All right, so... So I want to pause you there and say that all makes total sense, right? So you love sailing. A lot of people can understand loving sailing. Uh, you lost your sight, and then you said, you know what? I'm not going to let that stop me from sailing. And you found a way that you could continue sailing and enjoying it. That makes sense. I have people who are uh, tennis fanatics, but none of them live on a tennis court. And so I'm trying to you know, now take the court. next step, which is how we get to how we get to actually living on a boat. Well, um, because I had done some big boat sailing when I was in France, uh, I lived in Brittany with my boyfriend at that time, um, and we had done some sailing on his boat, and he had a, a big boat. Um, I loved it. I, th- I thought, well, we could live on a boat. This would be awesome. And, you know, that didn't work out. But when I came back, I always had that in the back of my mind that people live on boats. And when I went to boat building school, I had learned that people can live on a boat, and had always been in the back of my mind. And when I got to Boston, I had a sighted guide who was just, you know, very passionate about sailing also. And I said, you know, someday I want to live on a boat. And he said, what's stopping you? And I'm like, I don't have a boat. He's like, well, how do you fix that? I'm like, get a boat. He's like, yeah. So (laughs) I figured out the, um, you know, the parts and how we started, I started looking for a boat and, you know, found a boat. And then I found uh, a person who's called a boat broker who helps you buy boats. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like um, a real estate agent, but for boats. And so I worked with this amazing boat broker and found the perfect So the broker just like knows all the boats that are available up and down the coast and stuff. Do they have like the equivalent of MLS for the boats? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And so did you, how many boats did you look at before you bought close to 10 11 something like that mm-hmm. and 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 was this like a love at first boat or or was it like well there's a bunch of good ones and this one's a little bit cheaper and it's better in this way and worse than that you know like like did, did this was there was there sort of a, a magic feeling or just uh you know like i bought the best blender in the store for the money <laughs> yeah no i not do things logically and i don't do things with any kind of rationale like oh just look at my budget and look at 
No, I dive in and then try and figure things out later. That's sort of my philosophy with anything. Dive in, mm-hmm. figure things out later. And I saw this boat. It was in East Boston. And I really liked it. It was compared to the other ones. This one was like everything I wanted. It was has a nice interior and um, has, uh, you know, the right amount of sails. And It was just a, a good boat for me. And I, I felt I really liked it. So... I wound up with this boat and living on this boat, and I've been living on this boat for six years, and I am very happy. The uh, and so um, yeah, so tell so so tell us about the boat. So tell us about the interior. Like how how big of an interior does does a boat have? How how long is this boat? What are, what are the key measurements that people use when they're when they're talking about a, a boat you'd live on and so forth? Um, I live on a thirty six and a half foot um, Beneteau. Um, mm-hmm. It's an Oceanus 361, and um, it's 36 feet long, and it is has um, a main cabin, um, a center saloon or salon, um, <laughs> where <laughs> it's um, where people. It's, it's kind of funny how the extra O really changes the way yeah, that that word is thought of. It sounds all fancy and French with one O, but with two O's, you expect, you know, the gunslinger to be walking it and, get, you know, beer in a dirty whiskey in a dirty glass. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty funny um, <laughs> word. And I think people, I say salon if I say it or I say mm. central cabin. And then it has um, a bedroom, which is called a cat. Uh, uh, now I'm losing my words. It is, uh, it has a cabin. Cabin in the front yeah. and uh, a cabin in the back and an aft cabin, a forward cabin, and then a center cabin. And it has a, a bathroom, which is also called a head and it has a galley, which is the kitchen. And that's it. That's it. That's all it has. Um, yeah. And. And then, and then, and then the deck, you got, you got a big old deck. I mean, you know, everybody wants a nice deck outside their apartment and you got uh, one. Yeah, it's a deck. You can, you know, it ha- the cockpit has places to sit. The deck is not that expansive because it has things on it. Like um, there's lots of gear on it. Um, there's, mm-hmm. you know, in the, when the sails come out, they, you don't have, you know, you don't, you're not like lounging around on chairs on the deck. You're in the cockpit if you, if you want to see something. And so this is, and so this is a sailboat. Do you, do you have a motor for getting around if the, if the wind uh, is not much? Most people do. <laughs> My yeah. engine just got taken out um, because they oh, had yeah. some issues. So I'm in the process ah. of having a um, uh, repower, which is having my engine um, taken out and either restored or uh, replaced. And we're in the. I'm in the deciding point of whether I'm going to. The engine is in a. Uh, a, me- a mechanic has taken it to. Um, shop and the, the person who is taking the engine apart is going to decide whether it's dead or not. So that's where I'm at right uh, now. I see. Yeah. And so, so how fast does your boat go with the motor on full but no sail? And then how fast can can you sail it? Does uh, does old fashioned wind power compete? Um, yeah, um, I don't. That's a good question. I don't think I've ever really put the engine in top speed, and I don't know. You know seven or eight knots, I guess, would probably be mm-hmm. fast. Um, and for as far as sailing, knot-wise, yeah, you get up to 12 knots. 
Oh, wow. And so, and for our for our uh, for our landlubber listeners, you know, perhaps there are a few. So a knot is approximately a mile per hour, right? So a little bit less, is that right? Yeah, a bit less. The yeah. So the um and so uh and so and and my recollection. So my most of my sailing experience is uh, as a kid uh, sailing little uh, little uh, sunfish um, out on a uh, pond at my summer camp, which I got immense pleasure from. We did we did once take a pretty a big boat out uh, for a few days out onto uh, Casco Bay in Maine. But the um and uh, what my recollection is was that when the wind was good and you were uh, you know really moving, it felt unbelievably fast. And then one of the counselors telling us that we were going you know maybe two two and a half miles an hour and that there's just something magical about being on the water that makes you feel like you're going 10 times faster than you really are. It not is like 1.15 miles per hour. So it's mm-hmm. a little more than a mile. Oh, it's more. I got it backwards. Oh, my mistake. And so, so the point is, yeah, seven or eight knots is less than 10 miles an hour, but uh, it feels like you're really booking. <laughs> yes, it does. And especially um, when you have uh, a parent wind and the it's the wind really helps to make you feel like you're just you know like speeding along and I, I sort of I guess what adds that extra oomph to sailing is that it just feels so good and it feels so fast when you mm-hmm. have good when you have good speed when you have a very windy day and perfect sailing conditions but there are days where you're sitting out there bobbing not going anywhere <laughs> The, uh, now, you know, I, um, uh, you know, you threw something in earlier in the conversation. I was talking to a friend of mine who is uh, an expert in the martial art Aikido. And uh, so he's involved in competitions. I think he was actually a judge at the national championships or something like that because he's been a big uh, competitor. He's a remarkable guy. And I said, okay, so, you know, tell me about Aikido competitions. And he starts explaining. And about eight minutes into the conversation, he said, well, you know, one of the two guys has a rubber knife. And, and I'm like, wait, stop. When you tell the story of your Aikido competition, you have to start with the words, one of the two guys has a rubber knife. <laughs> because that's just inherently so weird. So apparently what the problem with Aikido competitions is that um, both guys, both, both competitors might tend to just sort of stand around, not, you know, in defensive postures, right? Because okay. it's risky to make an aggressive maneuver. And so what you do is instead you give one of them a rubber knife and, and then that person, essentially, if nothing happens, that person loses. But that person has the advantage that if they touch the other person with the rubber knife or maybe touch them in, in certain places or whatever, they, they win. So, so then you incentivize somebody to be aggressive. Okay. So, so your, um, your, your rubber knife was, um, uh, so I decided, to go to boat building school so now i guess if we thought about it we would have to realize there must be such a thing as boat building school because people learn how to build boats somewhere but i think if i'd really if you'd asked me if you'd woken me up in the middle of the night and said how do people learn to build boats i'd have said uh i don't know some old yankee salt you know takes them under their wing in a cruel apprenticeship reminiscent of the karate kid or something and and uh but no there's boat building school so can you tell us all about that yeah, I went to the Norfolk School of Boat Building in Norfolk, Virginia, and I don't think it exists anymore, but it was a very um, intensive, it's a year-long program, and it was with one instructor. You're paired with an instructor. There was... Oh, so it's uh, not that different from what I said. <laughs> and he was an old salt. It was really amazing. An incredible start, man. Uh, I learned a lot from him, um, and we had some really, in, you know, we 
we worked on a lot of really interesting boats and uh, I built two boats um, from scratch from in from scratch is you it's called lofting where you take the plan for the boat and you draw it out on the floor and of course this was when I had some sight so mm -hmm. I you draw out and then you use that as a pattern for um, creating your boat and it was a really wonderful experience I really wish that I had could have gone into some form of boat building for a career but I I didn't it didn't. <laughs> well, so so that actually was was where I was going to go with the next question, which is is were the people there mostly there <clears throat> to become boat builders for careers, or were there a lot of people who just love boats, were interested in boats, wanted to you know do hobby boating and so forth? So the school consisted <clears throat> of an administrator and a teacher, mm -hmm. and I was one of two students. So, oh my gosh. Um, so there's not really a broad sample to estimate from. This is one of these things where the, the margin of error is going to be large in, yes. in the polling. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> and so gotcha. Wow. They, they had been I can see why the school closed down yes, because exactly. their profits must not have been very high. Oh, yeah. well, uh, the instructor sailed away. He had built the boat and, you know, he got you to help him build your boat. He got you to help him build the boat, and then he's he's like, "I'm out of here. Yep, it's done." Exactly, exactly. It was really an incredible experience, and uh, yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't think it exists anymore. So, mm -hmm. um, wow. yeah, it was it was really wonderful. It was crazy and quirky, and I was very young when I went there, and it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was that type of existence and and then from there i went to europe and sailed with my boyfriend on, on the coast of france which was also amazing and wonderful and you know one adventure after another so what's tell us the best thing about living on a boat and the worst thing about living on a boat the best thing about living on a boat is you're on a boat. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a boat. Do you know I'm that song? Yeah, I'm on a boat. David, you got to put the, the, uh, the, 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 um, uh, lonely Island, uh, I'm on a boat song on, uh, <laughs> uh you gotta, you gotta cool. put, layer a little of that on, uh, into this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, being on a boat is awesome. I'm on a boat, like, you know, people always ask, are you on a boat year round? And it's like, is there an option? I'm on the boat yeah. year round. It's, that's it. I'm on my boat. Yeah. And it's, it makes me happy to wake up and, and be on the water. It's, you know, mm -hmm. I'm in a very quiet, I'm in Charlestown and I'm in a very quiet marina. It's, you know, we have docks that make a lot of noise and that's it. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. and that, pesky neighbor of mine the, the constitution shoots its cannon off in the morning and at night other than oh. that <laughs> yeah it's nice it's, uh, um, that's, so that's that's the worst thing about living no so what what are what are what are some eggs i mean i mean should all our listeners go move on to a boat and like so. like what i'd say is the idea of living on a boat is just immensely appealing i don't think you and i are alone uh in thinking wow that would be such a cool thing to do and yet uh, I would say, what well, one in every, you know, sort of uh, 600,000 Americans actually does it. So the question is, why is that number so tiny? Why don't 10% of people live on boats? What's, what, what, are the big, what are the big downsides? Is it well, really expensive? Uh, it, um, no, I, I think it's one of the cheapest ways to live in a place like Boston. It's very hmm. affordable. Um, the problem I think that 
I, I, I'm having a really hard time trying to figure out what I, I don't like about it. I mean, yeah. I have this we're, we're just all crazy. It's yeah. like, it's like just the fact that we live in Boston instead of California. It's just craziness. And, and <laughs> I mean, I think the downfall is I have a furry roommate who sheds. Mm, <laughs> and I see. She, she, uh, you know, my guide dog, her name's Dora. She's my roommate mm-hmm. and she has, it's not easy for her to climb in and out of the boat because the stairs go down very steeply. So I have uh-huh. to carry her down. And um, that's probably the, the toughest part about it. And she sheds so much. There's like fur and everything. Like, you know, I probably have a giant fur ball in my stomach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, kind of, what kind of dog is Dora? Black Lab. The uh, so lab shed a lot. Yeah, that's she, that's. Uh, did you think about other other breeds for your guide dog? No, um, the I got my guide dog through the Seeing Eye, and they come to look at your environment before they decide on matching you with a dog. And, and they, they're like water dog. Yeah, water dog. <laughs> you need a dog who <laughs> likes the water, and so they they matched me with a very small um, black lab, which is awesome because I can you know because labs can get really big um mm-hmm. she's very small she weighs about 50 pounds and because i have to lift her into the boat she is perfect um mm-hmm. it's she's easy to manage um but other than that i think it's just the shedding that drive drives me bonkers um yeah and you know the heat in in the winter time is fine especially with a warm dog sleeping next to you <laughs> yeah. um yeah everything's fine that's uh that's that's fantastic. And so um so I guess what people wonder about when people live in a boat is do you just up and sail away all the time? Do you just say, Hey, it's Friday, I'm done with work, um, you know, let's go to, you know, sail down to Bermuda and back or or whatever, or do you pretty much just treat it like an apartment that that uh wobbles? No, I live on a sailboat specifically to get out there and sail. And for okay. me, I'm working uh, on a project to go to take my boat um, and do a long offshore, offshore uh, regatta in 2022 called the Newport Bermuda Race and mm-hmm. uh, gearing up for that. So trying to get as much um, sailing practice on my boat as possible. And now mm-hmm. COVID. So COVID has made it crazy. Um, I also have had engine issues so i've had my engine out of my boat so i haven't gotten a lot of sailing in on my boat this year mm-hmm. but i there are i belong to um a couple of places to sail so at um cbi which is community boating inc on the river um sailing at boston sailing center and courageous sailing and up in marblehead i get enough sailing in you know well never it's never enough but i get some sailing mm-hmm. in but if my engine were in, I would be trying to sail. Hang on a second. I have to get rid of this squeaky toy. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I, th- I thought it was some, uh, you know, nautical instrument. You know, you were like adjusting the wind less or, or, uh, or you know, uh, uh, putting your sextant into position or something. Yeah, I'm annoying my roommate by taking her toys away from her. Yeah. <laughs> no more squeaking. Um, yeah. I it, guess a boat's the best place to be for COVID, right? I mean, at least you don't have to worry about, you know, hmm. other you know, they coming through the pipes of the uh, apartment building or anything. No, it's really like I live in a gated community because there's a gate at the top of the, the ramp and there's a 
traffic gate to get onto the pier. So it's a pretty safe place. You really have to be determined to get on the, the docks if you you wanted to. Like, you, it's not an easy thing. You can't just, like, walk in. Like, some apartments, you can mm. just walk in. And I suppose you can walk yeah. in when somebody's walking out of the gate. But when you get down here, you're like, well, what am I going to do here? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a pretty nice place. I feel like it's a little isolated sometimes, but... Mm-hmm. Eh, you know, people, there are people around. Um, one dog- of my one of my favorite uh, Simpsons lines is when uh, when Homer and the family are down at the docks and he, he walks up to them with his arms full of his, and he says, "Look at all this great stuff I got! It was just sitting in some guy's boat." Nice. <laughs> so that's where all my stuff is from. <laughs> exactly. How, how many how many uh, how many boats are at your at the marina you're at? Um, I'm. I think maybe. 100, 150. That's my guess. And is that mostly people who live there or is a lot you know, th- there's just people parking their boats? How many people live there? I guess that's what I should be asking. I think maybe there's like 40, 45 oh, so, people so who it's live a year fair, round. fair number. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. And are you a community? Do you like have potlucks all the time and stuff like that? No, uh, no, no potlucks. But there's, you know, you get <laughs> to know the people on your dock. Like I know the people on my dock are really super nice. Even the summer people, um, mm-hmm. summer people. They're, yeah, exactly. Uh, I like the tone of voice. That's good. <laughs> they're, um, they're here just for a few months, and then they leave. And then in the winter time, it's it's very empty, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's quite much quieter. Like in the summer times, when you know you have your hatches open, you can hear the partying and firecrackers and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you know, there's people coming and going, so you hear the engines. Um, but it's it's usually very very quiet. Um, I'm very sound sensitive and. There was an alarm going, like a lot of the boats have alarms for different things like CO2 alarms and, uh, you know, water, high water alarms and things like that. So they, it's all beeping, loud beeping noises. And there was one going off last night. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> Never got shut off. So, And then the, some people don't um, secure their halyards and they clang against their masts, this clang, yeah. clang. <laughs> It's, those are my downfalls for living on a boat. But other than that, it, it's yeah. not you can get used to. It's 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 very. I, I love living on a boat. It's really amazing. Um, very the, uh, relaxing. A, I go. It, 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 it does seem amazing. The uh, so why Boston? Do do you have like a career stuff in Boston that keeps you? Because it feels like if I were going to live on a boat, then I would want to be in a warm weather area rather than in Boston. Or or do you like uh, winter winter somewhere else? You jump in the boat, you say, oh okay, let's go spend three months in in you know the Florida Keys or whatever. Or how does that yeah, all go? No. Those are people with money. I have no money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so no, what, do, I work, what do you do here in Boston? I, so what, I, what do you what do you do? I work at MIT. I'm an mm-hmm. admin for the mm-hmm. human resources department. Ah. And I try to sail there as much as possible too. Like whenever, like that was one of the great things about getting a job at MIT because they have really good sailing on the, they have great boats. They really maintain their boats well. Oh, I thought um, you you sailed to work. Do you sail, no. you don't sail to work, do you? No, I made cool a sighted though. guide and sighted guides are just, oh, yeah, good you know, point. I keep forgetting about the blind part. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that eventually thing. since this is the Dangerous Vision podcast. I'm just so interested in boats. I don't really I know, care that you're blind. I want to say that. <laughs> if you're um, interested. That, yeah. no, that holds no interest for me. I know lots of blind people. I don't well, know anybody else who lives on a boat. We're going to talk about the boat. There's, <laughs> no, there's, we, will get to, we will get to racing and blind racing in a, in a few minutes. But okay. yeah, sorry. Keep going about MIT, though. Talk about I know, MIT. And, and MIT, like that was one of the big 
things for me to go to MIT at, for a job is that they have sailing and you and, can, you know, go and use the boats and it's really fun. And um, I, it's a really great supportive community at, at MIT. So I, I love MIT. I've always loved MIT. When, even when I was here going to college here, um, I went to MassArt, uh, <laughs> not using that degree, but um, yeah, I used to, used to walk over to MIT a lot and walk around the campus and they had, they have a really great um, public sculptures around their campus, like really astounding mm -hmm. collection of um, sculptures. So that was pretty cool. Tell us something about how sailing racing works and then tell us something about how sailing racing works when you're blind. All right. There's um, first there's of all, a guy with a rubber knife. That's a guy with a rubber knife, and you got to watch out for him. Um, there, there are two types of um, types of racing, and that I that I participate in. There's many forms of racing in the mm -hmm. sighted world and in in sailing, but the two types of racing that I participate in are match racing and fleet racing. Fleet racing okay. is when you have several boats of the same make and model, um, equal playing field. They are all start at the same time and they race up to a um, mark in the water, which is a buoy, round the mark, come back, go around again, end the race. That's fleet racing. Okay. Match racing. Uh, in fleet racing, you're usually depending on what boat you're on, usually two blind people with either one or two sighted guides helping. And okay. uh, in f match racing, it's three blind people and no sighted guides. You're blind people sailing your boat in hmm. the race. You okay. uh, sail up to the mark, you round the mark, you come back. Most of the action takes place in the pre-race, like in waiting to get into the race, waiting for it to start. Um, that's where all the matching happens, where you're trying to psych out your opponent and create an advantage, have them. It's sort of chess on the water, and it's a really fun, fascinating game race type thing. It's it's really interesting. Um, and so tell, wait, so tell me more about all this psyching out. So in other words, how, how many boats are going to be racing at once? Two. There's always just oh, it's two, just two. Okay, it's two always two. Match. All right. Um, so you and your blind friends are on a boat with me, and, or, and and then me and my blind friends are on a different boat. And you and the idea is what we're we're trying to time it so that we kind of when the gun goes off, we cross the line with it, with a lot of momentum at that moment or something. Is it one of those kinds of things? There's an area called the playing field, and so you enter into the playing field, and you're there mm -hmm. for um, three minutes. Okay. Into the seven I think you're 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 in there for four minutes. Sorry, I get this right. I always get her. I'm like this is not the part I really am I'm focusing on when I'm in when mm -hmm. I'm doing match racing. So you're in the playing field, and there's all kinds of tactics you can use. You know, guiding the the other boat back from or chasing it out. Um, there's it's just sort of this cat and mouse sort of game you play. And at a, a point, the, the race starts and you have to cross the starting line, but that they may have um, marks against them where they have to make, make up for those penalties. So mm -hmm. that happens 
when you're sailing up to the mark, you can take your penalties there or, you know, whenever, but you're waiting because I, I get so excited. So about is it. a penalty you like you have to turn around, turn yeah, around in a loop or something? Around, but you That's sort what of I remember from, from being a kid and, and selling. Yeah. You, you sort of want to wait, hold off on taking your penalties because you can make me make a mistake in my boat uh-huh. and I get a penalty. And if we both have penalties, they're canceled. Ah. So you don't want to waste time doing your penalty when you could, you know, make me make a mistake by, you know, if I come too close and you bear away or you do something stupid. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that you would, but, you know, you, you do. A, oh, I you totally make, would. You make a mistake. Let's call it a mistake. You make a mistake. Uh-huh. You, you make an error in judgment or whatever, and you get a penalty. It's sort of like who can make the other person get more penalties and you're also trying to sail faster than the other person but the fun is when you're when you're close to each other and you're you're fighting neck and neck and it really is neck and neck around the race course and it's 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 such such a fun game plus Mm. for blind sailors you everything is audible the start of the race is audible the buoys Mm. all make a different sound each boat makes Mm. it's a different sound it, when they're on a specific tack. So if they're on port tack, they're making a specific sound. If they're on starboard tack, they're making a specific sound. It's all this cacophony of sound and craziness. It's it's so much fun. That's what I think everybody should be doing is match racing. Interesting. And and so is there a thing where you try to like steal the other person's wind by by kind of getting Yes, absolutely. To the side of them where the direction's coming yep, from is that, is that the windward side, I guess. Okay, yep. and then and then you get some momentum. Yeah, that uh, that sounds really cool. Now, okay, now when we talk like you know, uh, as as uh, we may have discussed, or you, I may you may have heard me say on a previous podcast, you know, the, the name of this podcast is sort of a little joke uh, that I made up because you know that the of the fact that you know people imagine that everybody who's blind is completely blind, but actually very few people are completely blind. Most blind people have uh, a little bit of sight. Do you, do you have some some sight? What's your situation? An uh, absolute, absolutely minuscule amount of sight, and I, I feel like yeah. every day it's changing because I, yeah. I have I suffer from glaucoma and I have mm-hmm. cataracts, and the cataracts seem to be getting worse and worse because I see like I could see light, mm-hmm. um, and if I held something very very close to my face, and I've only ever had vision in one eye, like I was born blind mm-hmm. in one eye, and the the eye that I can see out of, I've lost the sight in, and you know, glaucoma has taken most of it and then cataracts. And, and I used to be able to hold things up to my face and look at them and see a little bit, but it was very, mm-hmm. very tiny patch of clear vision. And, and now that's gone. It's not clear. And it just mm-hmm. seems to be getting worse and worse. So, you know, I can tell it's light out. I can't, other than that, I can't discern anything. So now these sound like, you know, short, shortish races, but you were also talking about going from Newport to Bermuda. Is that Newport, Rhode Island? Because that's a long way. It is. Um, the Newport um, Bermuda race is a really old offshore race. And mm-hmm. um, I had wanted to, it came up a couple years ago when I uh, proposed a, a piece to, um, an entry to the Holman Prize from the Lighthouse out in California. They put out a, mm-hmm. a competition every year called the Holman Prize. And I had put together a video for that about doing um, a, an offshore race. And I had picked the Halifax race, which is from um, 
Marblehead to Halifax in its every other year. And I want mm-hmm. to do it to do that on my boat. But what happened was during the Holman prize, I learned that if you win, you have to do it within a certain amount of months. And it w- the race wasn't happening till the next year. So if I had won, I wouldn't be able to do it within the time period that they allotted you. So I'm like, all right, we'll do the Newport Bermuda race. And we got to the final, um, the final, we were in the finalists um, for this project. And my project was an all blind women's sailing team to Mm. do the Halifax race. And now, you know, the Newport Bermuda race. And we didn't wind up getting the uh, Holman Prize, but it was a fun competition. It was really fun to be in that, and it really invigorated us in doing our project of um, going from Newport to Bermuda as an all-women's team. Well, it's nice that you can have your passion be a thing that also you get to live it. I mean, because obviously people throw all this money into their house, and and for most people it's not a passion, right? So it just feels like pain to spend it, at least for you. It's, you know... You, you, you get all that joy out of it. You know, uh, Marie Kondo says, right, we have to have things in our life that spark joy, you know, and it sounds like your boat really sparks joy for you, which I think most people's apartments don't, you know, so that in that way, it's yeah, exciting. It, it is a different way of life. It's a really, it's the live aboard part is a very relaxed, wonderful way of living here in Boston. And you have like, if you can see, you have beautiful views of the water. Um, but mm-hmm. for me, it's, it's the racing that, is great I just get so impassioned about it you know I want other people who mm-hmm. are blind to feel as you know even in my in my sailing community of blind sailors there's I want everybody to be as crazy about it as I am and they're all like you're nuts <laughs> So, um, so you got a, got a book to recommend or, you know, if you've got, you know, favorite, uh, uh, nautical, you know, favorite sea shanties, you know, favorite, uh, pop songs about the ocean, you know, uh, uh, you know, yeah. uh, sailing by Christopher Cross, you know, uh, ride captain ride oh, upon God, your mystery no. ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think as far as books, I, you, you were allowing me media and I think maiden voyage, mm-hmm. the, um, Tracy Edwards' voyage story. I think that was such a great... You, you don't have to know anything about sailing. You don't have to appreciate sailing. It's such an underdog story. It's such a great... move. By the end of it, you're, like, moved. Mm-hmm. You, you want to be on a yeah. boat. It's, it's such a great movie. It's such a great story. Um, and uh, as far as books, because I, I love... I know you... you read at the top not speed like you fast mm. forward you you make the narrator talk yeah. really fast i don't i love the Be words rolling. and i love how people pronounce them and that and everybody does it differently and that's fine mm. um for me snow falling on cedars was oh is oh, always right. my favorite you know, I, 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 uh, the, I downloaded that book once and then i didn't re- get to it and then i um i should download it again I, I, like i must have switched phones or something and 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 lost it that uh yeah i've heard that's great i've not read it so unfortunately the only version i can find is uh no it, that's not that's the book I'm reading now I'm reading uh, listening to right now is Foucault's Pendulum which is the abridged version I can't find an unabridged mm-hmm. version yeah but because it's an abridged version it is narrated by Tim Curry whose voice oh, I yeah. love I love Tim Curry's the, voice uh, 
Um, exactly, so, Rocky yeah. Rocky Horror Picture Show. The, the I I yeah. um uh, I adore the name of the rose, and I have not read Foucault's Pendulum yet. But I ha- I like I started it and then got distracted and didn't finish it yet. But uh, but I will come back to it. That, that it uh, uh, I'm actually quite excited to uh, uh, to read that book. Of oh, his books, that's my the, favorite. Uh, yeah, I just I. Yeah, but that's a problem with not like um, taking um, Braille lessons through Hadley School. And I really want to get to the point of where I can really read mm-hmm. well with Braille's because I want to read and interpret the words myself again. Um, because, you know, you, people, when they narrate a book, they emphasize certain words more than others. And, you know, in, the, in, in, in books mm-hmm. like um, David Foster Wallace, yeah. they, he has lots of footnotes. Yes. They never read the footnotes, and it's so oh, bothersome yeah. Well, you, for yeah, me. Yeah, so I, 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 you know, I do it through Bookshare, and the footnotes are in there, and it, it's brutal because it sort of switches back and forth between. It, but I love it so much that I'll, I put up with it. It's, uh, yeah, oh my gosh, Infinite Jest. If anybody hasn't read, I'm that. having a hard time getting on Bookshare. I'm like, I get, I'm having a hard time getting on what? Bookshare. Like What's to the, the point, you just need a doctor's note. You just need a doctor's note that says you're blind, and then you're good to go. Oh, it's a doctor's. Oh, I have that. Oh, I have well, that. I don't know why they're... But when it's like you have to put in some kind of, uh, I forget well, what it was, but... Um, I don't know. They, they need to it, do some work on the interface and stuff, I will say. It's not as blind. Friendly. I mean, it constantly logs me out on my phone. I would just do it on your phone. I, like the computer interface is, is lousy and it's easier to do it on the phone. And then you read straight from your phone. Even the signing up What's part? <laughs> Even the signing up for Probably. it part? Probably because you use, um, you know, because then you can use the, the voiceover and everything. I, I think it's, I think that's probably the easiest way, but I admit I signed up a long time ago. So, but I, I do, I re up, you know, with my credit card or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, oh, it's yeah. a hassle. Yeah. They do charge you 50 bucks a year, yeah. but the, um, but it's a bargain. Yeah. I read so many books. Well, let's see. I, um, well, since you mentioned Wallace, I'll mention right now I'm reading strong motion, which is a Jonathan Franzen book. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I read, I put off reading Franzen forever because I thought it was too literary uh, for me, which is kind of idiotic since I'm a Harvard professor. Like, who are these literary books supposed to be for? But um, but I did finally <laughs> read The Corrections, and it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And then uh, I said, and then I'm like, oh, I guess I should read more of his books. So then I waited, you know, eight, ten years, you know, because I was worried his other books would be too literary. And then <laughs> even though, and then I read Freedom. And that was fantastic. It was totally great. And so then I only waited a few months. It's only like less than six months since I read Freedom. And now I'm reading uh, Strong Motion, which is fantastic as well, and which is set in, um, well, in Boston and Cambridge and Ipswich and stuff. So it's uh, it's very local and, um, and is about... Uh, earthquakes uh happening in Ipswich for weird reasons and um is sort of a thriller and is super wonderful um I'll also mention since you're in what's it's called strong motion the strong motion is a term for like what happens when there's an earthquake like the the parts in the word seismologists mostly measure like the deep you know measurements in the earth and stuff like that but then a small fraction of seismologists actually measure what's happening like at the point of the earthquake at the epicenter where things are like flying around and stuff and that's called strong motion and then obviously there are metaphorical meanings of strong motion in the book most of which i'm sure i'm failing to pick up but what are you going to do and uh so but anything my friends about that i mean the corrections is is the classic but uh, everything i mean i'm on to book three and they're all great so 
So I have nothing bad to say about Franzen, who, of course, you know, he and Wallace were, you know, friends and rivals and, and whatever. And sadly, Wallace is gone, but thankfully, uh, friends, it's still around. Um, and I'll also mention, just since you're in Charlestown, that uh, I don't remember now the original title of it, but the book that now has been reissued under the name of the movie, The Town, is fantastically great. Like, to, you know, great uh, crime crime drama set in Charlestown. I, I didn't even realize, I, I didn't see the movie and I didn't realize the term The Town, you know, the Ben Affleck uh, movie, you know, the, the Town was like, is like what the locals call Charlestown, like whatever. I'm, I live in Boston, but obviously I'm not a true Bostonian to not realize that. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it's totally great. So I recommend that uh, as well. I read yeah, that yeah. book. There you go. All right. Yeah. Excellent. They, um, yeah, his books are all really good. Um, and uh, all right. So you got a uh, you got a final story to leave us with. Funniest thing to ever happen to you. Craziest, craziest story you can think of. Wacky tale of being blind oh. on the high seas. Did you ever get stranded alone uh. on the high seas with no way to get home and just luckily you ran into a sandbar? <laughs> No, none of that. Uh, I think the first offshore race that I did was the, um, it's called the Behringer Bowl. You sail from, it's an overnight race. It starts at seven at night, around seven at night. And it takes you however long it takes you to get from um, Marblehead to P-Town, Provincetown. Mm -hmm. And you sail across Mass Bay. And the first time I did it, I did it with, as a double handed Mm -hmm. race on my boat with a, um, my regular my crew member who i i adore he's wonderful um his name is christian thaxton and it was the first time we were he's blind i'm blind and we had a sighted guide my longtime sighted guide friend his name's Kay, and we were sailing in this race we both were we sailed up to marblehead on my boat we get there and we're you know it's kind of a storm it's looking like the weather's going to be stormy and it's in the middle of the summer and there thunderstorms are predicted i'm you know have never been very far offshore on on my boat and i'm a little bit nervous i'm a lot nervous i'm freaking out and i one of the weird things about me is that i'm very stubborn (laughs) and i we were at the beginning of the race and Kay says to us both, he's like, if you don't want to do this race, you just let me know and we can, you know, turn around and go back home. And I was thinking, oh, he's Christian's going to back out and I won't have to worry. I won't have to look like uh-huh. a jerk. He was thinking, the same, <laughs> we found out we finished the race. We found, he, he was thinking the same thing of me. Oh, she's going to back out. I won't have to worry about this. We were out stubborning each other. We wound up starting the race. We finished the race. We were the first in our our fleet of in our category in our class um so we we did really well um but it was it was probably one of the best races i've ever been in it was so wonderful there was you know storms all around us we did not have to go through a storm but it was just such an incredible experience it really was wonderful It was probably the best race. I've That's ever an done. awesome story. That's great. Well, I don't have anything to top that with, so I think uh, we'll we'll call it a wrap. Uh, thank you so so much for joining us. Uh, this uh, this has been fantastic. I've just hugely enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, and thank you, David, for getting in touch. And uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll keep listening to your wonderful podcast. It's, it's the people are amazing, and I've learned so much about how to be blind. A lot of great resources. I'm so glad to hear that. All right. Well, thanks again.
Dangerous Vision is produced by the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired and me, David Brown. We would love your help in sharing the show. Please subscribe to Dangerous Vision on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it would be great if you could leave a review. If you'd like to be a guest or know of a terrific guest, drop me a line at dangerousvisionpodcast at gmail.com. 